Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Jocelyn. Late, but uh, still ready to discuss Tears of the Kingdom some more. Yes, sorry so much, you guys, because uh, my work exploded yesterday and I can't go into any kind of details, but we had so many fires to put out, so uh, we weren't able to record how we normally would and we'd already pushed it <laughs> because of I can't even remember this week. So yeah, but it's it's always my fault. It's all my fault. So I'm glad that we're actually able to, to do something for you guys this week. Um, and uh, I should sound a little bit more more better this week. Uh, Ryan has lent me his Yeti. So we're going like old school first couple years TGI at this point. But uh, I think it sounds a lot better than the headset. And Ryan, knock on wood, so far can't hear himself. So I don't have to push to talk. So it's going to be a much smoother experience this week. Hopefully, fingers crossed, now that I've said it, all of our technology is going to break. <laughs> well, hopefully that doesn't happen. And uh, yeah, no, I, I thought, uh, you know what? I have this uh, Yeti mic just sitting here, this old one. And I thought, oh, I'll use it as a backup. And then I thought, finally, there's a use for the backup. So we've done it. <laughs> Never throw anything away, Being kids. a pack rat <laughs> actually paid off. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. So here we are. We're good to go. We're ready to record. Uh, like we're not quite into the ghost of E3 announcements yet. There's been a couple of rumblings and announcements, but next week and the week after is just going to be filled with IGN and Polygon links in our show notes. We probably don't even have to play anything for the next two weeks, Jocelyn. And I think after the games you've been playing lately, you might be happy to take a break. <laughs> might be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so, okay, I have played more Tears of the Kingdom, and um, I think that I, like, I'm enjoying it. It's it's interesting. I do think that, um, like, I stand by my statement from last week that I think that the things that are happening to Zelda and the, like, way in the past, like, founding of Hyrule story, I think is the most interesting. And I mean, realistically, that's kind of the story of the game, right? That's the most fleshed out thing. Like, Link isn't really doing much of anything that's deviating from any previous Zelda title, right? Like, Link is going to temples, there's some sages, it's the same, this happens every time, Ganon's a bad guy. <laughs> like, the same. So, um, the thing that's different about Tears of the Kingdom is definitely all of that past story stuff. Um, so I find that the most interesting and most compelling. And uh, I've now discovered all of it. Um, so, and I think you also, you've done the same, right, Ryan? So, and I guess, like, are we going to, we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Are we going to talk about the story or are we going to leave it floating in the ether unsaid? <laughs> I, okay. I know we didn't talk uh, pre-show about this, but like my thoughts on discussing the the story for Tears of the Kingdom is that I would love to have that conversation and put it out for our um, uh, for our gamers in uh, listeners because I think like you and I probably agree more on uh, this section of the story we're we're talking about and and probably have a, a couple rants saved up. So whether we do it today. To, I know the game almost came out a month ago and everyone's moving on to Diablo and uh and Yes, such. it's definitely it's Diablo time right now. Uh people are going absolutely wild for it. And uh I'm not sure I wasn't sure if you were actually gonna pick it up and play it. I don't think I will. 
Uh, I had this conversation with my husband this morning because he's super into it and was playing last night. And I'm like, just the the gear and inventory management, which is such a huge part of Diablo, is this like huge brick wall for me between like me and the fun. <laughs> so I probably actually won't be picking up Diablo just because um, like I think if there was a like a button in the inventory that said like equip best gear disenchant all others i think i would play an unhealthy amount of diablo but um that's just it's just such a block for me and it's i find i find it very tedious i know a ton of people absolutely love it it's so core to diablo gameplay but uh, for me i find it very tedious and and i don't find the fun in it so um i probably won't pick up diablo but are you going to be getting into the diablo kind of craziness uh well i think my um my hopes that Diablo 4 would be on Game Pass around launch uh, have been dashed <laughs> by several uh, large government entities, uh, for the for the time being at least. Uh, but right now to play, you have to buy like the expensive edition, which is funny enough. Uh, well, it shouldn't be funny enough, but it's more expensive than the regular edition, obviously, which is <laughs> also really expensive. So I think to play like right now, you got to drop like a hundred and. 30 some dollars canadian yeah that sounds about right <laughs> yeah because it's still technically it's in the early access right so yeah yeah i enjoyed my time with the beta i enjoyed playing both on pc and on console i feel like if i were to make sort of a judgment call on a how game pass would work with if the acquisition goes through or when i should say uh it would likely come to xbox before pc game pass um but I'd probably be more likely to play it if I bought it on console. Like, to be honest, I am still very much playing Tears of the Kingdom to the point where I still have like 12 odd amiibo just hanging out uh, in the living room, <laughs> which, you know, delights my kids. But uh, my wife's like, oh, you know, Ash is like, why do I uh, why do I have to see all these uh, these figurines scattered all over? And it's like, you know, no, it's important. You're as bad as the kids. <laughs> I know. I leave all my toys all over the place. <laughs> um, and uh I told this story on uh, Dungeons and Diapers, but uh, uh, to the point where uh, Abigail's been really into Amiibo, I gave her one of my duplicate Amiibos I had from uh, years ago. So then she had an option to go, you know, pick out a toy at, at GameStop. And I thought, oh, she'd pick like a, a Mario figurine or or something. And she picked up this like Monster Hunter Amiibo. So like <laughs> she's also now collecting them. Uh, which that's amazing (laughs) yeah and i mean i don't have the amiibo but i'm like oh that's a really cool amiibo i'll have to borrow it and she's like yeah well you better ask first and i'm like yeah no fair enough um but anyways (laughs) learning (laughs) yeah yeah she is so i'm still playing tears of the kingdom and all that being said i feel like i i kind of want to step away from diablo but also like there's that core friends group that is playing right now and they are messaging back and forth and i kind of do you want to jump feel in? a little left out? <laughs> yeah, not even. I, I don't feel that. I feel like very included in the sense that they're still, you know, discussing it in the main group. But like, I, I do want to jump in. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't find the, you know, the, the drive to like hit that purchase button yet. I haven't bought a Blizzard game in a very long time. And, um, I was interested in, I'm interested in Diablo 4, but I think I'm going to wait a little bit. You know, there's just a lot of discourse around, what post launch looks like and there's like the battle pass stuff which i'm not necessarily opposed to but um i've also heard like everything's really expensive in the game which is also Mm. a bit of a bummer like the cosmetics are 
you know, they're, they got the blizzard tax on them. So something that yeah, should cost yeah. 15 costs 30, you know? Yeah. And that to me, that's why I stopped playing Overwatch, to be honest. I just, at launch, there was that big push for Overwatch. Everyone was playing it and I enjoyed it. But then as soon as you started to, you know, dip into those loot boxes and stuff, it just, it just felt, um, didn't felt, feel fun anymore for me. So I, I almost like don't want to play Diablo 4 because I know as soon as I start looking at that shop, I'm like, oh. I don't know if I want to play this anymore because it and it's a me thing. I know some folks can just like just not go into the shop and enjoy the gameplay because there's obviously a lot there for the price of admission. But uh, yeah, also, I want to beat Tears of the Kingdom. I'm I'm still very much, you know, I don't know how much more I've got in that game. Yeah, that's fair. OK, well, then let's leave our uh, Tears story conversation for next week and just give people that one extra yeah. week before we go into into spoilers but um i will say yeah now so i've done all or at least two heavy spoilers we are going to be talking about the game today so keep that in mind guys if you don't want to hear about tears of the kingdom then skip ahead a little bit um but yeah so um i have completed all four of the temples now i only had the water temple left uh last time we spoke and uh it was so short and so easy compared to like the fire temple (laughs) which i think the fire one was the last one that you did right yeah, I just I actually just finished it um yesterday and and it is it's a winding path. I mean, it really takes those It's uh, so big. <laughs> it, it is very big and it has lots of uh levels to it. I'd say it's probably the most complex. Um mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of the Desert Temple, but the Desert Temple was very condensed in compared to the Fire Temple that was kind of like spread out, you know. Yes, very much so. And I'm even like, I'm struggling to remember the desert temple at this point. But uh, yeah, I so I went uh, wind, which I think everybody is kind of funneled to wind first. And then I did fire. And then so by the time I got to water and and, and desert or sand, what lightning, whatever, <laughs> um, I very, oh, I remember it now. Okay, yeah, you had the fight with the boss outside, very similar to the fire temple. And then apparently my dogs are freaking out. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're also um, fans of uh yes, the fire temple <laughs> big fans of the fight right at the gate uh but yeah so now i remember and the uh yeah so the lightning temple and the uh water temple i just found so small condensed and short uh compared to the fire temple so i was i think um my expectations were maybe a little bit higher after doing fire second but um i mean all the temples like they did a good job of kind of bridging the gap between the divine beasts and traditional town, like traditional Zelda temples. Um, And we talked about this last week. It's still not exactly where I want things to be because I like those traditional temples, but I think it's a, it was a half decent compromise, I think between like the divine beast style and the temple style. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're getting the new power from before the character becomes a, a, a full-on sage, but they have this power. So the, I, I just did the fire temple, so it's it's the most fresh for me. But uh, you you come across it's in the Goron area. One of the Gorons can do like a sort of uh, uh, shoot forward cannonball type thing and break specific types of rocks, and that ability comes into play uh in the temple well he actually he can you can use him like you use a bomb flower like if you're exploring caves or whatever yeah so yeah he is like it's not just the 
the specific Goron rocks that he can destroy. But uh, yeah, That's it's all point. of them, which which actually comes in really handy. So you don't have to use a lot of your resources when you're kind of exploring underground caves and stuff, because like that is so key. It's like basically whenever you're exploring caves, you kind of like walk into one room and there's two or three exits, but every single one of them is covered with rocks. And so you either have to bomb flower them or use a rock hammer. And like it can be very taxing on your resources so once you get the fire the goron power and you can just throw him into rocks every 10 seconds or whatever then it makes it a lot easier to do some of that uh, underground exploration yeah and i mean i'm i'm by no means a well expert but i feel like a lot of the wells are broken in the kingdom of hyrule because they should not have (laughs) such a large uh interconnected system of caves attached to your wells you wonder why they're dry you know (laughs) because there's no water in there there's a little bit of water Some of them have water at the end, and but do not get comfortable with jumping into a well and assuming you're going to land in a puddle of water. You are very, yeah. very rarely going to land in water. You're going to land and, and die or lose hearts. Um, but yeah, like I, I like the way the temples use uh, the specific power that you gain from the specific character that shows up uh, that you're interacting with. And that fire temple was really cool because there's a like a series of mine carts, and they go a, a step further to add this ability um that automatically queues up whenever you get in a cart um and i was gonna ask you said you climbed death mountain like you did that by physically climbing it with stamina um did you know there was like a minecart rail that went all the way around you could just hop in a minecart and well i found the minecart and then it started to look like a puzzle and i was like i don't really want to do this so then i just started climbing and it took me like probably like 10 minutes like it wasn't a quick climb but i definitely went out the outside of the mountain (laughs) <laughs> or up the outside of the mountain. <laughs> I think uh, so. It, it worked. It worked quite well. Like, um, but you know, you didn't save much time. Or, or sorry, I didn't save much time by using the cart because it is a winding path, and the puzzle uh, to it was basically just um, having to pause to take out enemies and then and then hop back on on the track. But I really like that temple, and I like the idea of having these. You know, they're they're very rinse repeat in the sense, like, okay, there's five to six locks that we have to uh engage and using the special ability then oh the door opens then we fight a boss and um the bosses are sometimes new and sometimes they've been um repurposed they're familiar yeah (laughs) there's the uh i got i think the fire temple really reminded me of the spider from um ocarina of time uh Mm -hmm. i think it's gora gora maybe yep yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to, I I really love, like, I think if you look at the entire Tears of the Kingdom game in comparison to Breath of the Wild, like, I think the, as you, I agree with you, the biggest improvement is with those temples. And it comes very close to being like, okay, while we can't specifically give dungeons like they were done before, because there are no abilities, uh, or, or there's no weapons you earn. It's more like these, but we do give you these new abilities, you know, w- whenever you complete a temple. So like they kind of built it around that and they had abilities in breath of the wild, but I think those abilities you gain were more about traversal and quality of life, uh, as opposed to like, here's a new thing you can do in the world. Go have fun. Yeah, so speaking of, um, like, using them in the world, because you can technically, like, turn sages off, right? Mm -hmm. You can go into your inventory and essentially, like, dismiss their avatars. But 
if you dismiss their avatars, they're not available to you in combat. And it's kind of like twofold because not only are their special abilities available in combat, but they also just kind of auto attack, right? So your combat power is increased if you've got all four sages kind of fighting by your side. So I was curious because one thing I really dislike about the sage powers is that you have to run up to them and like ask them to do the thing so you have to run up to them and hit a but when you've got all four of them sometimes it's really hard to like navigate your way to the one that you want and then they're all like trying to follow you right so then sometimes one of the other ones will step in the way and then like the number (laughs) of times that i've activated like lightning when i wanted fire (laughs) like the only one that works flawlessly is the wind power because she's the only one who's active when you can use her and like or I guess sorry when you're gliding which is when I usually use her um and so when you're gliding it just automatically puts her like behind you and you just have to hit a twice like once to activate once to or sorry once to tell her you want it and once to activate um and so it's the most seamless one because none of the other sages are there and you don't have to like look at her when you're doing it so but i wanted to know like are you fighting with all the sages do you use their abilities in combat because when i was doing the water temple it was so hard (laughs) to actually get the water guy (laughs) to be like hey i need your help right now do your thing (laughs) everyone else kept stepping in the way so that's like i wish they were they were bound to like key bound to buttons on the controller instead i would have been so even if it was like a a menu i had to navigate like you do with your hand powers still something like that (laughs) i really don't like putting myself out of position to go talk to these sage avatars yeah, no, that that's a really good point. I think it comes back to last episode when I was talking about, the, you know, approachability and the way the game handles controls and and stuff like that. And I, I think it would go a long way to uh, I'm surprised they didn't. You know, I, I, I got the wind ability first and it just automatically mapped to a while we were flying. And I thought that was such a great yeah. way of handling it. And they just kind of stopped short. I would love to be able to call on the lightning ability from a push to the button as opposed to like, okay, I got to go walk over to this specific, you know, ghostly figure, because that's the other thing. When you're doing the temples, the character's with you, so they look unique. But when they're just in their like sage ghost form, they just look like a blue ghost and they all look the same outside of like their general form right so well yeah yeah yeah. so like the goron guy is the biggest and Mm -hmm. then you've got the tall skinny water guy but yeah in the heat of a battle it's very hard to distinguish who's who and who you need yeah yeah so i i but that's a good point they do allow you to dismiss them which i guess is nice if you are because you don't need the fire ability uh while you're in the water area but i find that the lightning I'm using the lightning most while in combat because it really allows you to disrupt everyone in a general area. And and the enemies do like to bundle together because they are going after one target. They're going after you. So the lightning comes in very handy. And also I've used the Goron a little bit and, and he's been really helpful too to kind of like knock people over so that I can sort of regroup mm-hmm. I do like the water guy uh, for boss fight or not even necessarily boss fights, but either bosses or like the big um, 
like uh like the stone talus guys that like the big like i guess like mini bosses that are kind of out in the world yeah uh just because if you put that water shield on it absorbs a hit regardless of size right so that can be really useful if you find yourself in a bad spot but again you have to go talk to the dude so like yeah. maybe that gets you out of the bad spot period so, it doesn't last forever either right it's and it doesn't cooldown. last forever yeah it does have a it does have like a duration for mm-hmm. sure yeah yeah, but I I'm I'm still very much enjoying my time with it. I I took a big break after finishing the third temple to kind of just explore, do side adventures and stuff. And I think, uh, and I promised I'd mention this, and Jocelyn didn't remind me. But I was I, just I, about to say I wasn't okay. going to let you off the hook without talking about the cutscenes because <laughs> yes, I I just I really want one of those Joss is right moments. Yep. So go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> All right, everyone, mark the timestamp down. Jocelyn was right. <laughs> um having finished the the fourth temple and we're not going to go into spoilers I, like i said we'll we'll have some also some more jocelyn was right uh next episode so stay tuned for that but uh no jocelyn was right i i did the fourth temple and the way it uh does the cutscene breakdown i think and i don't even think it was you kind of you know mentioning it and then all of a sudden I'm like holy shit she I'm seeing it now but I think that uh it just it was the fourth time and it was one too many of like the same cutscene the same reactions from the characters just a different v- voiceover actor and Link just saying nothing cuz there are very yeah. <laughs> specific moments where Link could just be like hey before we 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 do this just so you know let me catch you up as again i i feel like i'm repeating what you said last week so i just <laughs> i want to hammer home here jocelyn was right it from a design perspective feels um it, it breaks the immersion right which i think like mm-hmm. they say about tears of the kingdom is like oh it's such a immersion sim or whatever everything reacts to everything except link has short-term memory loss like he doesn't remember I should pretty much fill you in on this, you know? So it's, it's awkward. Um, look, I don't want to sit here and say like how much work it would be to fix it, but like the first temple should be what is in there now. And then the second, third and fourth should be um, some, some rearranging of scenes. And yes, you probably end up quote unquote missing a scene with this, you know, proposal uh, depending on which one you do first. But I think it would actually like solve a big issue which is just link not talking to these uh these folks like warning them yeah you know i just well that's the thing is like i just wish that there was a little bit more of a dynamic system built in there that regardless of which one you did first like the first temple that you go to and you complete then that like changes a zero to a one somewhere in the code that says okay link now knows the basic story which is that the Zelda that we see probably isn't the real Zelda and that his bros with powers who are hearing voices are sages. Mm. <laughs> you know, like Link knows that information now for the next three temples, the next three sages, the next three friends, the next three quests, just have him know that <laughs> and tell his friends. <laughs> yeah. It's because in every single situation, every single like friend that you go to talk to, there's this moment where they ask you to like explain what's going on. Cause they all say the same thing. Oh my God, you were missing. We're so glad you're okay. After going to investigate under the castle, 
And then Link explains, Zelda's still missing. And they go, oh, no, not Zelda. And it's like, you could put a little, you don't even have to give Link, like, a voice or, like, text or anything. You can just have the other character be like, whoa, that's a knowledge bomb. <laughs> like, it just is so weird to me that yeah. he has no thoughts or feelings about what is currently happening and doesn't convey any of that to like his in some cases like they call him like you're my best friend and i'm like well <laughs> he's not a very good friend because let me tell you what's going on <laughs> yeah it I, I think it also comes back to um and this is something we talked about pre-show about how the fact that we're sort of getting caught on what is a very small, like a small er detail of such a it very is, vast game. But like the fact that we're zeroing in on it, it means like it could be just a little bit, it could be a little bit better, you know, like something that is a really good game. Oftentimes you do kind of get caught up on the little stuff. And I know you can skip the cutscenes, and, you know, which is what I ended up doing for the last sure. two temples is I was, I just skipped it. Cause I was like, I know this already. Perfect. Um, And I think that like for me, I'm and I think you're very similar like I'm so story focused or like motivated as a gamer like I love a good game story so like knowing that story is not usually really all that front and center and like it's we've talked about this before Zelda stories are very simplistic it really stands out to me when they drop the story ball like this, right? Like there's so little in there to begin with that when you give me cutscenes, but they're all the same, that's going to make me sad because <laughs> that's the kind of, just the kind of gamer that I am, like the stuff that I pay attention to. So I hope you guys don't think we're harping on it too much, but uh, yeah, I just, I'm very glad. I'm not, I'm not glad because I don't ever want anyone to have a bad gaming experience, but it is a little bit like, vindicating <laughs> to hear you say yeah okay actually four times was too many <laughs> yeah no it, it, and it, it certainly was and i think um now that i'm out of that loop and it is like i said it is a small part of like all the temples the temples are so uh it's such a, a fresh breath of air when you actually are doing a lot of like the other stuff in tears of the kingdom to go into a temple knowing like this is going to be a fresh experience, new characters, new abilities, new uh, puzzles. Uh, and 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 sometimes if there's a shrine along the way, it's usually like, hey, pick up the chest, talk to the glowing bit, and then you're good. You don't have to do it. <laughs> you don't have to do anything sometimes. <laughs> so I know Jocelyn probably appreciated those. But, you know, it's um, it, it it is a small thing, but I think it's worth mentioning in that, like, it could be just a like a little bit better. And, and I also appreciate story in my Zelda games. And when you know, like they they take this critical story moment and don't take it as an opportunity to kind of showcase more of what happened uh, because a lot happened, you know, way back in ancient times and they show you maybe 10 minutes of it over the whole course of the game. Yeah, over the whole entire game. Yeah, so exactly. I'd rather have 20 minutes of it and, and, you know, even flesh out just that one scene, like the yeah. one scene that they keep showing over and over again, you don't get a lot of it. it a lot of mm -hmm. it happens off screen and it and is inferred but you know you could you could flesh that out and have it be the same scene but told from different perspectives and and sort of like yeah different perspectives and different yeah. backstory for sure sure yeah other than just saying i am the fire sage 
<laughs> I am the lightning sage. None of my <laughs> attacks I, worked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very much so. But anyways, um, like I said, I do think that the temples are a good compromise between where they were in Breath of the Wild and where they were, you know, before that, previous to that. And I think that... Uh, Overall, like I, I like I said, I am still enjoying Tears of the Kingdom. It's a solid game. I think um, I I really wish that I enjoyed the building more, but I think that they've done a really good job of allowing people who want to be construction engineers to do that, and allowing people like me who maybe don't like it as much to like. It's incorporated and it is required in a couple of different places, but it doesn't feel like they're shoving it down my throat at the same time. Like most of the time there's multiple solutions to puzzles or, you know, whatever. So you can kind of get away with uh, not using the building mechanic if you don't want to. So I've definitely appreciated that. And, and the times where they have like forced me to build something, I feel like they make it very easy and very obvious like it's not a like 10 piece contraption it's like a pair of wings a couple of fans and let's go um i'm thinking of the boss fight at the fire temple very specifically like you have to get in the air and fly <laughs> you don't have another option to beat that boss so uh yeah it's it is like put forward as a thing that you should try and that can be very helpful without um, feeling like it's the only way to play the game. So I have really appreciated that because that's always a worry with specifically Nintendo games when they come up with a gimmick that that's all the game does is that one gimmick. So I think that they've done a really good job in Tears of the Kingdom specifically balancing that out and not forcing a player to do that. Yeah, no, no, no. The the buildings... Um... It was something I was worried about at launch too, and I think now that I've had a lot more time with it, I I kind of fall closer to you in that like I'm I'm glad that the system um is there for folks who want to build giant like I've seen a lot of mechs I've seen um uh, I've seen so many penises okay well <laughs> we're not following the same people who are retweeting that on Twitter but uh, we can exchange uh, follower tags later um but I think that. Uh, for me, it's been really cool to see. I think the the coolest one I saw was someone had built like a detachable drone on their flying ship. So it would detach from the the main flying uh, ship and then go in, like fly off on its own and, and um, you know, attack enemies and stuff. And I think like the again, the way it's doled out in game in how like it, it is slowly introducing you to to pieces through puzzles and shrines and stuff is really uh, a neat, it works well for my brain because like I don't want to get overwhelmed with all the parts but there are like 30 different Zonai devices that you can get in the capsules to use to build your, mm -hmm. your stuff but I'd prefer just to build like a couple of little things just to solve the puzzle you know there was one one specifically in the fire temple where I was like trying to okay how am I supposed to like get up to that level and it's like no you're just supposed to keep grabbing the new rocks and build a giant ramp that's all yeah. you need to do or could do. You could do a lot of things, but that's one of the things you, you could do is just build a giant ramp. So for me, I'm just building like the simple thing that gets me onto that ledge or gets me through this area and I'm having fun doing it. That part that you're describing the fire temple is the one thing that almost made me rage and throw my controller because <laughs> I think I dropped like four, maybe five ramps down into the lava 
before I finally got it to be long. And, and like, so I would be, I think I was making it like one block too short oh. or something, or I was just missing, like I was trying to put it up against the, the more broken side of the stairs or something and just missing. And it was rage inducing. I could not get the ramp to go where <laughs> I wanted it to go. And every time I dropped it, a little part of my soul died. Yeah. Now, are you playing primarily handheld or are you getting it in the dock? No, no, I'm playing it docked with. Oh, the okay, okay. Because I was gonna say uh, the building, uh, while while handheld, has been uh, not as uh, like it works, but it, it it's been it's not as it doesn't work as well when it's docked and you have the larger screen and you can you can just see the pieces a little bit better. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there like there are moments where you do hit a wall and and that specific puzzle in the fire temple was like, how am I supposed to do this? And you realize like, oh, I just need to create like a ramp for the guy to run up. And uh, because he wouldn't follow you, he wouldn't follow you into the lava, even though he's the one dude who could survive if he fell in. Right. I know. It's <laughs> annoying. I wanted him to climb, <laughs> climb this like weird half a skyscraper I had made and he didn't want to do it. It was unfortunate. <laughs> um, but no, like I think the building uh, works really well in the sense of, like when you absolutely have to do it, uh, it, it 90% of the time works really well and you you build your thing and and i love that like whenever there's a puzzle like at a stable it's the little things like they have piles of stuff to build with in areas where you you may or may not want to build like it's there's a lot of stuff around that you can use to build but like at every stable there's a, a a wagon attachment that you could use so you don't have to build the wagon. You don't have to go out and get it. You could build a wagon if you want. You could repair a wagon. But most of the time, there's something close by at a stable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in, in the, the Korok puzzles where you have to like take the one dude, he packed too much stuff. He's he's sick of walking. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff on Twitter about that, Those too. Those poor <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And uh, it, it, uh, th- there's usually like enough parts around where it's like, here's the Korok puzzle. Here's where you need to to take the guy. And we've included like some su- suggestions of what you could do here by scattering a couple of pieces of material. Um, uh, and, and I think that's just a, is a very clever way of, of Nintendo being, you know, you can solve the puzzle this way, or you could build a giant mech and, and, uh, and shoot the Korok across, across the field if you want, yeah. or you could carry the Korok carefully and gently your, with your ultra hand if you want if you wanted to do that it takes a little extra time yeah that's usually the way i end up doing it is just carrying him with ultra hand. yeah either way you get two uh seeds so it, it doesn't exactly. matter he's doesn't got a big matter. pack he always lands on his pack so you're fine yeah Uh, But yeah, so I think um, I'm almost done. I wasn't sure how much uh, a game I really had left to do. So I've been kind of trying to uh, clean up some of the side quests and and just kind of see a little bit more of the world and a little bit more of the story. Um, I'm also doing a lot of shrines because there's a thing that you have to do that needs a lot of stamina and I don't think that you can eat in the middle of it so uh, I know that there's stamina food that like gives you that yellow extra stamina ring um, so maybe I could do that before I engage with the event but I'm not 100% sure so currently I don't have enough stamina to do the thing I have to do so I'm gonna I'm, I've been working on some shrines but 
You guys know I hate grinding shrines, so I've fallen off of Tears of the Kingdom a little bit, but I am basically at the end as far as I can tell of the main story. But uh, yeah, I definitely feel underpowered right now, so um, I need to do a little bit more out in the world before I go and try to do anything else. So um, that's kind of where I sit now. Hopefully I'll be done by next week. Um, but yeah, I think we'll we'll revisit Tears of the Kingdom one more time next week. Um, but I also this week played what is literally the worst reviewed game of the generation because last week i put my foot in my mouth and said oh yeah i love all lord of the rings content i'll play anything they put out with the lord of the rings license um yeah so first first and foremost i should say i played Gollum, but i did get a review code so um i didn't pay for Gollum, uh and i and i will also say like I don't think that it's as bad as it's reviewing. Um, I think that the problem is the price tag that they've put on it. I think that it's probably more of like a $40 to $50 game. And I think the other thing I really want to point out is that they did a day one patch. So a lot of the reviews that I saw and that I read were uh, like previous to actual release, right? As, as often happens. So... Lots of bugs, uh, lots of problems, like game-ending crashes kind of thing. So I can understand uh, where those reviews are coming from. Like, if you can't play the game, it's not going to review well, right? Uh, I didn't have those issues. Um, They basically, (laughs) they have a dynamic, I think AI-driven... Uh, hair simulation for Gollum. (laughs) Which, if you guys know what Gollum looks like... Seems like a little bit of overkill to me uh, to put any sort of amount of, de- of development time into his 10 strands of hair. But if you turn that off, it solves a lot of uh, the crashing issues. Plus, as I mentioned, there was a day one patch. So I played after the hair tip came out and after the day one patch. So I didn't have any of the kind of like game ending crash issues that I think a lot of reviewers did. So I don't think it's necessarily, (laughs) well, I don't think it's worth a two. Uh, I think that people are a little bit um, hyperbolic (laughs) in their game scoring lately. Um, But in general, I think it's probably closer to like a six. And if it was a cheaper game, I think I'd probably give it like a seven if we're going for scores. Like it's half decent. I think if you like Lord of the Rings, if you like the license and the like the original content then very much like i said last week it's great to get just to get to live in that universe a little bit more in terms of the actual mechanics like you are playing as Gollum, so you are a very small very weak very spindly creature so it is not a combat game it's a stealth game it actually reminded me a whole lot of uh the plague tale games that we played where you had the two kids going through all the rats It's very similar to that, where you're not meant to fight, you're meant to hide. And you do get, like, every once in a while, you can do, like, a stealth kill sort of thing, where you jump on an orc's back and strangle him out or whatever. Uh, But those are, again, very much like Plague Tale, few and far between. But they are asking, like, 80 bucks for this Gollum game, and there's not a whole lot in terms of, like, game mechanics. There's some traversal... But it's really simplistic, 
<laughs> like there's basically one path. Like it's very on rails. And the thing about Gollum that I think made a lot of people really, uh, I'm not going to say love, but I'm going to say maybe like enjoy him as a character in the movies was Andy Serkis's amazing portrayal. And without that performance, like, I mean, it's not a bad performance in the video game, but it's just like Andy Serkis set the bar so high (laughs) that, you know, you see somebody else. And obviously there's a different Gandalf. There's a different like Elven King. And, you know, like they didn't get any big name actors to come in and do the voice work here. But Gollum is very noticeable in the absence of Andy Serkis. So, you know, like he was such a well-voiced and almost like sympathetic type character in the Lord of the Rings movies, which I loved. Um, and it's it's kind of hard to fall in love with the character in the same way in the video game. So it's like, takes place in Mordor. So even the setting is very like glum, <laughs> like dark. It's lots of caves. It's lots of rocks. Uh, and the graphics aren't particularly great. So uh, considering you've got kind of a glum, dark, rock area and it's not like impressively done (laughs) it makes it stand out even more if that makes sense yeah so for his voice uh like i just confirmed uh it's i guess it's wayne forrester um but there was obviously as you said andy circus in the movies but there was also was it um liam o'brien who did it in uh the shadow of war game maybe like because there was like a golem outing so there yeah golem has definitely appeared in more things since lord of the rings since the movies came out like literally 20 years ago Mm. um but the thing is like that portrayal was so iconic and the difference between this game and any other lord of the rings title is that golem is your main character he's pretty much your only character and he is interesting because he does have the golem smeagol like conversations and stuff but i just don't think that they like since he's the central character i think that there was more there to potentially explore especially since it's looking at the time where he was like living near like up in the the, near mordor up in the caves uh with shelob like the spider and all the orcs and stuff like there there's not a whole lot of conversations or no no conversations between Gollum and like other characters so basically, the conversations are all like internal Gollum Smeagol conversations and done correctly. Those are very fun and very interesting. And I just don't think that they kind of uh, delivered on that. And it stands out. The performance of Gollum stands out so much more when he's the main slash only character versus like any other ensemble Lord of the Rings title, right? Like if you only see Gollum for 10 minutes, then you can get away with a whole lot more than making him the sole focus of your game. Right. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is unfortunate that they, uh, they couldn't carry forward that, that voice acting, but, um, but yeah, like, but like I say, the, the game itself I think if you could get it somewhere in like the 30 to $40 range, like more like an indie price tag instead of a triple A price tag. Like, I think that's where it really kind of stumbled is because like, I don't think that there is enough gameplay here to justify that price tag. Like, like I said, the traversal is really uh, straightforward. It's a stealth driven game. 
So like there's not there's no like combat really to be had. It's like it's not empty, but it's a little bland and straightforward. So I think that um with a smaller price you could justify giving this thing a shot. Um I don't think it necessarily played badly. Like I think the controls were fine and you know, I didn't find anything to be too difficult or awkward. It just felt like there it, it was very on rails and the problems air quotes presented weren't like weren't very challenging i didn't find um and i didn't play a ton of it um i only played a couple hours but um like it just it really didn't hook me <laughs> in any way shape or form so i think again with a smaller price tag you could justify with a smaller price tag and being a fan of the lord of the rings just ip in general I think you could justify giving this a shot. There's some interesting, like, characters and setting here, right? Because it's still Tolkien. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, I I would say, pass. (laughs) Uh, If you were looking at playing it right now for for its full price, I don't necessarily think it's worth it. But I think there's something here. Um, So I don't think that it's as bad as a two average. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was a little bit, like I say, I think that was a little bit hyperbolic and harsh. Um, and I don't really know like what Gollum did to these reviewers to hurt them so badly, but they really seemed out for blood. Uh, so anyways, I think it's, yeah, like I said, probably like a six or seven-ish. Like, it's, it's pretty average. There's nothing really stand out about it. Um, but now that they've... Again, my review comes after they fixed a lot of the bugs that were causing like game ending crashes and save losses and all those kind of things, which are definitely worth poor reviews. Like if you can't play the game or if you play the game and then hours in lose all your progress, like that is that's really bad to be launching a game in that state. But like I said, after they did the day one patch and fixed a lot of that stuff, I didn't have those issues. So I was able to look at the game a little bit more objectively, I think. And uh, yeah, so it's fine, but I would wait for a sale or Game Pass or whatever. Like, I I would wait for it to be cheaper. It's not worth 80 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I know the developers have uh, put out a post sort of saying they were going to address, you know, the lingering concerns uh, and performance issues and stuff like that. So um, it's. Yeah. And I get that. And, And addressing performance issues is one thing, but. I, and we're going to talk about Redfall in a little bit. Um, addressing performance issues doesn't address underlying gameplay issues, right? Like underlying story mechanics, like those are core to your game. You're not going to change them. So like, thanks for making it not crash, but it still needs to be a good game, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, that's that 100%. Like, I mean, if you're not, if you're not enjoying the gameplay, um, they're not they're, they're not going to address that to to yeah, outside exactly. of maybe a couple quality of life things but they're not going to They're not going to suddenly them. make Gollum a badass warrior. No. <laughs> like add a whole bunch of combat. Like that's not going to happen. So no. if that's what you're looking for, wait for the potential years from now MMO. <laughs> no. But even then you probably can't play as a Gollum warrior, but anyways. <laughs> well, you know what? You Amazon, never know. If you're listening. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> Does There's anyone... the market. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. There is. They're, they tried with it. Like, I, I like the idea of, you know, you have this vast world that you can pull from to build these games. And I like the idea of character 
specific experiences, but you do have to construct the game in a way that like makes sense for uh, the audience and for for the type of game you're trying to make. And I think with with a game based uh, on Gollum and trying to build an adventure around that using the unique mechanics that apply to Gollum, you, you know, you can't just say like, all right, like we're going to sell this full price, 80 bucks. And, you know, and then on top of that, I know there's some DLC and stuff as well. Oh, yeah, I should say um, that was that was a sticking point for a lot of people that um, I guess the basically elven language translator <laughs> was <laughs> locked behind a paywall. So you would have characters speaking elvish that you couldn't understand. <laughs> so that like that was that part of the DLC. Uh, so that was included in my review code. So I didn't have to pay for like, I didn't even notice it wasn't until after I had uh, played a little bit that I went to kind of look at the reviews to be like, why do people hate this thing so much? And that's when I read about the whole DLC issue. And I was like, Oh, so like the whole first conversation that like between the elven king and gandalf that kind of like sets up what's about to happen um you just don't know what they're saying because they're speaking elvish <laughs> like not even subtitle that seems a little bit crazy <laughs> so i uh i do understand the uh outrage there is like you're charging me 80 dollars for this game and then i need to pay more so that i understand what's happening that's not cool <laughs> yeah I, th- I thought it was um there was there was more elvish stuff that they added with the DLC. I I don't really remember exactly, but it seemed like uh, it it like the whole thing just seemed like a like a, a marketing issue. Yeah. And yeah. um, I'm I love playing smaller titles. I love playing games that you know aren't the the full price eighty dollar large Tears of the Kingdom type experience, or even you know God of War that sort of thing. Like, I think there's still room in the industry for smaller experiences. Oh, definitely. We're going to talk about one when we talk about the PlayStation Showcase that I am so stoked that they've decided to make it a smaller experience. Like, I can't wait for it because they're like, now we're going back to our roots and it's going to be like 15 hours. I'm like, perfect. About time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, you have to you have to look at the landscape. And I mean, if you if you needed to charge $80 $80 for Gollum to make back uh, your budget, then I think there's other issues there to, to like business issues probably to look yes. at. But, and obviously I don't have any details on that side of things, but I think that there is room in the industry for smaller experiences because you can certainly do a game based around Gollum. And that sounds like it would be a great 10 hour experience, like a smaller experience, like something that just focuses in on a few of those gameplay mechanics without having to worry about like, you know, the $80 experience. Right. I I don't know. I just feel like it probably would have benefited. Like you said, like even if it was just a more focused experience and then that would have allowed them to reduce the price and bill it as like a, like a, not even a budget experience, but just like a smaller experience, you know, not everything has to be 80 bucks and 120 hours. Well, and it's not. So it's 80 bucks. And according to how long to beat, because again, I only played about three hours, so I didn't get all the way through. Um, How long to beat says that the main story is about 13 hours long. So it's not even a crazy big open world long thing. Uh, It is kind of, again, bite size. It it just, this reminds me so much of Plague Tale. (laughs) 
<laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. And I liked uh, the Plague Tale games. I think the second one's a lot better than the first one. Like they take a lot that they learned from the first one and, and improve upon it. But uh, that one and one of the things they learned was, you know, we want more. We want different options to survive encounters. Like the first one had a lot of like, oh, they saw you game over. The second one has a lot of uh, more escape mechanics. So if you do get spotted, you have the ability to sort of fade back into the shadows, either through combat or or just losing the enemy. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of story reasons for that. So, you know, um, maybe Gollum 2 will be, uh, <laughs> maybe won't come out, but maybe it'll be a yeah. better experience. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I don't really think that there's a lot of, like, solo Gollum story to tell. Like, I think they did pick the correct era of his life to cover sure. because it is where he is basically alone but is um kind of central to the story i mean he spends like hundreds of years in a cave under a mountain right like you can't really make a game out of that and then everything else the Gollum story everyone's pretty familiar with it whether it's through the hobbit or through lord of the rings like everybody pretty much knows what happens to Gollum. this was kind of the the time in between losing the ring and then, you know, being caught and tortured in Mordor at the beginning of uh, Fellowship, right? So, like, this is the correct time. I don't think that there's, you know, lore for a Gollum 2. And uh, when you get so widely panned, I don't think there's going to be an interest in Gollum 2. But uh, there's definitely an interest in using the Lord of the Rings IP in so many different ways. So I look forward to seeing what else we get. Even if it is just that Amazon MMO, I think uh, that's exciting because, you know, I'm, I'll play anything Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love another Shadow of War. I know we're probably not going to get yeah. one, but uh, I would love another yeah, one. Yeah, those were, those were really decent games. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we've been playing this week. Wanted to stop now and give a quick thank you to our patrons. Thank you so much to Spin for being our June patron and supporting us over at patreon.com slash thegamersin. We do have the game club starting up some point this summer. We're going to be playing Psychonauts 2, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, also, a reminder that the Tears of the Kingdom post is up in our game discussion forum, also on Discord. So that is bit.ly slash TGI Discord if you want to join those conversations. If you are having a conversation about Tears of the Kingdom, please do mark your spoilers. That brings us to the news this week. Uh, PlayStation had their uh, 2023 showcase. This is basically their, they're kind of the first ones, right, to give us our E, or air quotes, E3 uh, announcements. Yeah, I call it the ghost of E3. Uh, yeah, fair. For at least another <laughs> year, and then maybe we can call it the Jeff Keighley summer or whatever he wants us to call it. But yeah, um, <laughs> I, that's not at all what he wants us to call it. I, like, yeah, that's not the marketing. But no, this is the first sort of big. Big June reveal, right? I, which happened in May. Yeah. But still, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's a good point, too. I mean, Ghost of E3 is, is catchier and or Keighley's summer of gaming. But I guess it's not even summer yet. When does summer start? June, right? Uh, June 22nd. So how is he hosting it June I 8th? I think we're getting caught up on the right. Yeah, it doesn't here. matter. doesn't matter. <laughs> PlayStation had a showcase and told us about things that are coming. Uh, lots of VR stuff, which I will be honest, I glossed over a lot. There was a lot in this showcase 
that didn't necessarily appeal to me. They brought back some old licenses that I wasn't familiar with at all, but some people just totally freaked out about. Uh, I know, obviously, you're going to be super stoked about Spider-Man. Um, but other than that, like, there wasn't too much in this announcement that got me really excited. There were basically two games that I was really stoked for. One I've already kind of mentioned, which is the new Assassin's Creed game, Mirage. That's coming in October. Uh, and I have nothing important to do in October, right? <laughs> which is also really good for Alan Wake 2, also coming in October. These are games I'm going to play sometime in 2025. <laughs> yeah, you might uh, you might want to save Alan Wake 2 for, for after you have the baby because it is, it is one of those yeah. experiences that could induce labor because it's a scary game. I think game. it might. Yeah. It looks really terrifying. Like, <laughs> I'm excited. There are some monstrous characters in alan wake too uh it looks really really interesting and uh i i can't wait i think it's gonna be so cool and you get a new playable character you can play as the fbi character this time so uh that's i think gonna be interesting kind of swapping between the two and uh yeah it it looks really well done um the animation and the and the voice acting looks really solid so i'm very excited about alan wake too but also like i mentioned when we were talking about Gollum. I'm excited about Assassin's Creed Mirage and how they're basically taking and this they said this was kind of like their philosophy is they're taking like the current tech that they used for Valhalla, but then doing like an homage back to like OG Assassin's Creed, which is, you know, more stealth, less RPG stuff. Um, a little bit more uh, guided, like on rails, less open world and shorter, like 15 hours i'm like yes i very much want a smaller more linear assassin's creed uh just because and not that they were bad at storytelling when they went open world but i just think it's so easy to get distracted in big huge open worlds and kind of lose the thread and i think that the assassin's creed story was so complicated but so interesting in the like original early days i'm really excited to see them get back to that style of storytelling yeah no i, I mean if it is uh if it is going to be a shorter experience uh that sounds great to me because i don't think i've been able to finish an assassin's creed game since they went to the big yeah no um black flag is the last one that i yeah. actually finished um the other ones like i i kind of come back to from time to time and i you know will play them for a 10 to 15 hour chunk and, but then, you know, I always get distracted by something else or whatever. And like, I haven't finished Valhalla yet. Like, I know I've played probably like half the game, maybe, but like, they're, they're just so big and they take so long that, yeah, I, I get distracted. Yeah. <laughs> like, not bored. I don't want to say bored because they're not bad games. But uh, Valhalla is definitely not the only game that I've walked away from without finishing just because it's so big, right? And there's so much on offer right now that um i think sometimes it's just hard to to compete like i remember when we played skyrim and that was like i think i sunk like 150 hours into that but that was the only thing i played for months <laughs> and i just don't do that anymore uh because there's so so much available across so many platforms that it's really hard to stick with one game yeah yeah and i mean when you look at this showcase i think the issue that uh, I think a lot of folks had pointed out is that um, I'd say like 80% of the games shown are coming to other platforms. I think there was yes. um, an Xbox post that went out shortly after the showcase finished of just like a grid of the biggest games, like 10 or 12 of the games 
uh, coming to Xbox. And look, I I for one watch these showcases to to hear what's coming. I, well, the major focus is like what's coming from the first party uh, developers because like those are the big announcements. But the shift lately across across the board, even Nintendo and Xbox, has been to like what games can we showcase here that uh, might encourage you to buy it on our platform as opposed to what exclusives do we have? There were mm-hmm. some exclusives, but like a lot of the big ones, like the Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater remake, that one's coming to Xbox and PC, um, Assassin's Creed, Alan Wake 2, the Talos Principle 2, like all those are coming to other platforms, but the way they do with this, you know, console publisher specific showcases they show coming to playstation there's not a real clear answer on outside of like well that's very clearly a playstation studio but even then you know you had bungie announce a new game that's coming to xbox and pc as well so like Mm -hmm. the lines are kind of blurred these days and there's like one or two games that are exclusive to the console like that is going to sell you the 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 box the other stuff is just like okay how many google searches do i need to do to determine if this is coming to something i own you yeah. know and i think you know it's really funny because we're going to talk about the microsoft uh, activision issue in a couple minutes but uh, i find it really funny that one of the biggest issues people have with microsoft acquiring activision is that Microsoft is all of a sudden going to have all of these exclusives, but then those like same outlets and same people are railing against PlayStation and saying like, where's all your original IP? Where's all your exclusives? Like, why is your showcase telling us all these things that are coming to other platforms? I'm just like, wait, okay, so are exclusives good or bad? Because I'm getting (laughs) mixed messages here. Or it's like, are exclusives only okay for Sony, but bad for everybody else? Like, I just want to find the thread. I just want to know what the <laughs> what the stance is. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't really know. I think the biggest issue is like when you're when you're spending seventy billion dollars, or like it's kind of like okay, you're spending a bunch of money to to have exclusives. But I I think the argument has been made countless times that like Redfall, yes. The PlayStation version was canceled, and we'll, we'll talk more about Redfall in a bit. Mm-hmm. But like, Sony kind of dodged a bullet there. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was not it's like, a great was that experience. cancellation really a bad thing yeah. for Sony? Probably not. <laughs> like, Microsoft um, isn't going to suddenly make a bunch of games exclusive to their to their to their platforms, but they're going to make some exclusive. Yeah, and they need to they need to catch up with Sony because I think what Sony's doing when you look at this showcase. They are focusing on the next game that's going to come out. Do we know what's coming out after Spider-Man 2 in the fall? Not really from PlayStation Studios. Would we love to see like the next uh, Naughty Dog or the next um, uh, Ben Studios game um, that's going to be out in like one to two to three years? Sure, we'd love to know what that is. But like that's not how Sony works. They work behind the scenes on the game and then announce it. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of these E3 kind of presentations that we've got in the last couple of years have really had that kind of focus. Like these June announcements very much feel like we're going to talk to you about the next six to 12 months, and that may not actually include exclusives, right? Like it really depends on what we're planning on releasing during that window. And sometimes 
the exclusives just don't fall within the next six to 12 months. So it doesn't mean there's no exclusives coming, but they're not going to use these or they, they haven't in the last few years really used these conferences or um, showcases to talk about what's coming like forever, <laughs> like everything that's on their plate. They're like, hey, this is all the stuff that's coming very close to release. Like this is what you can expect of us, particularly out of the holiday season, right? So they usually tend to highlight things that are coming out October, November, like in time for Christmas, like what are our big 2023 flagpole titles? And that maybe doesn't have anything to do with stuff that, you know, Sony is working on first party exclusively. So other than, you know, this year, it's Spider-Man 2, right? Like next year we might have two or three or we might have none. Who knows? But these are very... um I was going to say short-sighted, and that has so many negative con connotations. It's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, it's a very it's a very small window that we're talking about with these yeah. um, June, June presentations. Like, they want to highlight what's coming in the rest of the year, not the next two or three years. That's not what these presentations are about. Well, they're, they're pulling, they're doing, see, this is the thing. Everyone makes fun of Nintendo for how they do things, but everyone <laughs> comes around to how Nintendo does things. The only games that Nintendo seems to announce way too early are Zelda games. Breath of the yeah. Wild was announced four years before it came out, maybe more. Tears of the Kingdom, four years. But these days, you sometimes get like a, hey, new Paper Mario is coming out in a month. Hey, Fire Emblem is going to be out in six months. Um, they're, they're, they're taking that focus of like, we're going to focus on the current game. I think we didn't put in the news, but like Nintendo uh, came pretty close to like shadow dropping like a one-two Switch sequel which was like a launch title for the switch in 2017. And uh, that's coming out at the end of June. Like they've kind of shifted to, we're going to have a, a showcase, but we're going to announce what is coming in the next, uh, you know, as you said, six to 12 months. And I think that's a better focus. Like I like to know, story, but we're at a stage with these consoles, both with um, the switch and the Xbox and PS five that like, you don't need to know what's coming out years from now you kind of just need to know what am i playing in the next you know six months you know, yeah because you already have the box you like you don't need uh, to reinforce your purchase anymore i think there's there's already enough there um that because you already bought it but like i know you know crofton he's he says like well spider-man 2 i watched that 15 minute trailer and uh i guess i have to go buy a ps5 now and i'm like that makes <laughs> sense yeah, so are you, Spider-Man 2 is, like I said off the top, this is one of the ones you're excited for too? Because we got to see, uh, you get to play as both, right? Peter, but like with Venom powers, but then also Miles? Yeah, yeah, so that was really interesting because in obviously the first Spider-Man, they set up Miles Morales and then they yeah. have the Miles Morales spinoff. But with this sequel, and and there was there was differences in gameplay between Miles Morales and Peter Parker um, in those two games. But like they've, as you said, they've set them further apart by basically confirming the symbiote suit like right off the bat. So we knew Venom was in it. We knew both the Spider-Men were in it. And and now we see that you'll be able to switch seamlessly between the two, both from a gameplay perspective and for story reasons. Um, it uh, it seems really cool. And honestly, like it it looks exactly what uh, what I was hoping for from from Spider-Man 2, which is more and better spider-man so that sounds great to me uh it'll be a day one purchase i don't know how like familiar you are with the spider-man franchise like outside of the mcu 
Um, but are you excited for Craven, the villain? Because I, so I only know Craven because of the uh, Marvel Snap card game. Um, so he's one of the cards that you get uh, pretty much right off the bat. I think he's series one. Uh, and so I knew of Craven from that, but I had no idea he was a Spider-Man villain because <laughs> like he's, he's like a hunter. He's very like jungle and, and Spider-Man is in New York. So I was like, I never put two and two together that Craven would be the villain, but he's the villain in the game. Is that like exciting? Did you know that was coming? Like what's, what are your villain thoughts <laughs> yeah i don't know uh i don't have a lot of experience with with craven the hunter um i think he so because he hasn't been done in the movies like i obviously i have less experience uh, with the character because he hasn't he hasn't really made the jump successfully to the movies i know he's going to have like his own movie from sony which has done so well for it's yeah block. i was like is this a good idea or a bad idea yeah, it's been hit and miss mostly mostly misses but um venom has been doing okay I guess. venom's good yeah, yeah yeah venom's all right yeah venom's good and but i think like craven works really well as like a comic book slash video game character and i i i feel like with what they've adapted so far he will he will fit right in and you've got lizard as well and um I don't know a lot about him, but I know a lot of Spider-Man folks love Craven the Hunter. You know, again, talking with with Crofton, who's a huge Spider-Man nerd, he was saying <laughs> that um, that Craven's his favorite villain because he's the only one that's ever beat Spider-Man, you know. Oh, and, uh, interesting. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of history there. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about it. Like, I'm more familiar with Venom and I'm looking forward to uh, to their take on Venom. And it, I, I wasn't. I honestly wasn't anticipating, like, I don't know why I should have assumed, but I didn't really feel like they were going to have Peter Parker in the symbiote suit. Although that is a huge part of the Venom story. So like, I was pleasantly surprised, even though as a Spider-Man, you know, uh, a person who knows of Spider-Man, I should have assumed that was going to be the case, but, uh, the powers look really cool. Like they've, uh, they've adapted it really well. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see it. I, we don't have a release date. They just say fall. Uh, so I'm hoping for September, but, uh, could be October. I feel like if it was September, we probably would have known. I, I think they, cause they gave us the October release dates, right? For Assassin's yeah. Creed and Island Wake. So I feel like it's probably they're aiming for November. Uh, fingers crossed that they actually get it out this year because like it always, when you just give a window, like a quarter, that always makes me nervous. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you want to nail it down, Sony? What's holding things up? <laughs> So I, my guess would be November. <laughs> yeah. And, and the last one was November too. Like, I think, I think Miles Morales did have like, I can't remember if it was like a holiday or a fall time frame, but it did release late November. Although that was waiting for the PS5 to launch. So yeah, um, there were some other factors there, but I thought it was a good showing, but I, I think you do have to these days have a mindset of going in. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see a couple of big exclusive titles some we didn't even mention, like, you know, Final Fantasy 16, which is third party, but is exclusive to the PlayStation. Um, but you're also going to see a lot of titles that are coming to other platforms, including Xbox and Switch and stuff. And that's just it's where we're at. Right. Because, like, there are just a lot more games and publishers don't have to, like, solely focus on exclusive titles to to sell their consoles. They can. Yeah, they can do a 90 minute showcase and have have it be all games. So. All right, so shall we talk about Microsoft? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
Basically, uh, we've talked about this before. So uh, the CMA over in the UK blocked Activ- or, uh, blocked Microsoft's acquisition of Activision. This happened, we covered it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so now we have the details of Microsoft's appeal. Um, so it's going to be a 10-day, uh, I guess, um, appeal or a co- case in front of the tribunal. Uh, who's going to decide whether Microsoft is right or not in terms of uh, the CMA's decision being essentially wrong. Uh, What I do think is important to note and something I didn't really realize, because again, I am not a lawyer, I am not an expert in all of this stuff, um, but if the appeal is successful, the deal does still have to go back through the CMA for review again. Um, So I did find that interesting, and I'm assuming that if the appeal is successful, that means that if the CMA wants to block the deal again, they would have to do so for a different reason. I don't know that. I couldn't find that information anywhere. Uh, But that's just what I am assuming, is that like if you go through this process and appeal the process and then go back through the process again, they can't make the same argument because you've already proven that the argument doesn't hold water. Does that sound like it makes sense, Ryan? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense to me. I didn't realize they would have to go through the process. Well, yeah. Otherwise, I feel like it'd be like an endless feedback loop, right? Like, you know, Microsoft goes to the CMA. CMA says, no, cloud gaming. Microsoft appeals. They win. They go back to the CMA and CMA says cloud gaming. And then they appeal again. Like, it could be an endless loop if, you know, the CMA is allowed to argue the same thing. So I assume if the appeal is successful, CMA would have to make a different argument. Um, so basically, uh, Microsoft's appeal arguments are, can kind of be broken down into five different things. Um, they are obviously only talking about cloud gaming right now because that was the crux of the CMA's decision was that, uh, allowing Microsoft to acquire Activision was going to negatively impact consumers in the realm of cloud gaming. So we're not talking about exclusives. We're not talking about COD. Like all of that stuff is off the table because the CMA basically ruled that those weren't going to be problems. So uh, Microsoft's arguments against uh, CMA's cloud gaming argument uh, is basically <laughs> that the, the CMA didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, they Microsoft said uh, that they made fundamental errors in evaluating cloud gaming as a distinct market from native gaming, which When they're talking about native gaming, they're talking about like buying a title and downloading it. So that's like the the difference here is that like having your software, like downloading your software is still not cloud. Even though you do so from a cloud, from a server that's off site, that's not cloud gaming. They're talking about never downloading, never having a local, never having an offline copy. Cloud gaming is what we're doing when we're like connecting to a server and playing off site. It's the it's Stadia which we all know how that ended. (laughs) So um, (laughs) essentially, Microsoft is saying the same game exists in both places. Like you can download and play a game locally that is may also be available on a cloud service. So they're not distinct markets. They are different forms of delivering the same content. Um, So that's essentially Microsoft's first argument. 
They also said this is the CMA didn't consider existing agreements that the companies, whether it's Microsoft or Activision, have with cloud gaming platforms. So they pointed specifically to uh, there was the NVIDIA agreement, but there were a couple of others that said, hey, look, like we already have legal agreements in place covering cloud gaming. And CMA just basically said, we don't care. <laughs> and Microsoft is saying, well, you should. Um, the CMA also assumed that Activision would make their games available to third-party cloud gaming companies if they weren't part of this merger with Microsoft. And Microsoft <laughs> Microsoft said that was irrational. I love some of the language in this appeal, by the way. Like, just it feels so, like, not necessarily unprofessional, but very emotional. <laughs> And yeah. I find it funny, like when we're talking about like, this is like legal court documents and Microsoft is saying like CMA is irrational and they made fundamental errors and just like some of the things, some of the statements out of Microsoft and Activision for that matter, like, man, <laughs> you guys sound like you're very emotionally invested in this, which is, you know, it's fine. It just, it's, it's funny to see an official like court documents <laughs> statements like this, but um, basically in uh, Activision also came out with like separate statements talking about a lot of this. And I mean, like they are their own company right now. There are tons and tons of cloud gaming companies and services available. And like if Activision hasn't made their games available to those third party cloud gaming companies now, like why would they in the future? You know, like it, it does. I can see Microsoft's argument here saying like they could do that tomorrow, but they haven't, which means they probably won't. Like. What do you, the CMA, envision changing that would change Activision's mind in terms of making their games available on cloud gaming services outside uh, on third party cloud gaming services? So I, I can kind of like see that argument saying like if th they have the right to do it right now, they're their own company and they've decided that's not a profitable way to go. So, you know, like how does Microsoft acquiring Activision change that at all? And it, it really doesn't. Um, the CMA also assumed Microsoft would withhold Activision titles from specifically from cloud gaming services. So like I said, this isn't talking about um, like any other normal downloadable services. This isn't necessarily talking about subscription services or anything else. This is very specifically saying Microsoft would create its own cloud gaming service where you could play Call of Duty uh, and like not put it on nvidia and like so not saying you wouldn't be able to play it like on playstation <laughs> just saying specifically not available on cloud gaming services which again microsoft thinks that it's just a different type of delivery not a totally distinct market so doesn't think that that argument holds water uh, and then finally they think and and i kind of agree with this i, I think that they potentially jump the gun a little. Uh, but Microsoft thinks that the CMA basically overreacted because they blocked the deal instead of um, proposing solutions or, or considering remedies like the, the existing agreements that are already in place. They basically didn't say anything about what they would consider to allow the deal to go through. They just said, no, you can't do this. So Microsoft is saying essentially that they would work with the CMA to find a way to make this this deal work um, from a cloud gaming perspective. Um, but the CMA was unwilling and just blocked the deal anyway. So, um, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's an interesting appeal. I can see a lot of Microsoft's arguments here. Again, we are talking only about the cloud gaming issue. We are not talking about any of the other issues proposed because um, the CMA has essentially said that those aren't problems for them. So, uh, and a lot of the other regulators um, kind of dealt with some of those other issues and, uh, you know, had different proposals or things that they wanted to see. And Microsoft was able to work with all the other regulators. It's just the CMA and this cloud gaming hangup is so wild to me. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, But I think like, personally, I think that though cloud gaming is definitely an interesting concept, and we've talked about it a lot and how it makes um, games available to people who may not necessarily have the hardware to play them. And that's like, more games for more people is really good. But I think that in a lot of cases, like latency just plays such a big part of gaming that if you're, it's not quite the same as like watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can kind of like sit there and it can download in the background and there's no feedback that needs to go between you and like your Netflix server other than pause, <laughs> you know? So, like, when you're talking about actual gaming, there's a lot of games that I think would really suffer. And I think it's why uh, cloud gaming never really kind of took off and why, you know, Stadia ended up getting canned is because there's that feedback and latency issue that can make some games really not play well in a cloud environment. And I don't really think that that was kind of taken into consideration or maybe not understood by the CMA is like, When you look at, you know, am I playing a DVD in my player or am I watching Netflix? Those experiences are going to be pretty much the same, whereas potentially like playing a local copy of a game versus playing something on the cloud, those aren't necessarily the same experiences. So it's it's kind of interesting. And I mean, like, I know I'm sitting here almost making the CMA's argument saying they are a distinct market (laughs) from native gaming, but um, I don't think that that negates the other points that Microsoft is making. Um, I just don't see how um, how cloud gaming ended up being the crux of the issue with this acquisition. I think there's so many other issues that could potentially be bad for consumers or the industry, which again are two totally separate groups and what's good for the industry is potentially bad for consumers and vice versa, good for consumers, bad for the industry. Um, Like it's a very complicated situation and I just don't understand why cloud gaming is the thing that has, you know, potentially stopped out of all the things it could be potentially stop this deal. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that when you look at this, I think it's a very strong appeal. Uh, yeah. in the sense of how they've laid it out and um cloud gaming is uh it, it's not a it's not a big deal right now and i think the best use case for cloud gaming is the ability to have um uh more taxing games run on uh less powerful hardware and the best example mm-hmm. would be um the the switch you know the switch being able to get full price ports uh via the cloud edition sort of uh, tagline um i don't know like how well those do but to have the ability to say hey let's have this thing run on switch without the overhead of trying to port it uh and we can just have it as a cloud version that must make some business sense uh to a degree of like you you make x amount of sales to recover uh whatever cost it would take to to set up those servers and such and 
Yeah, like I say, it's a it's a good option to bring games to people who may not have access to them otherwise. Like I mm-hmm. think it it's good that it exists. I just don't think it's the like the future of gaming or anything like that. Again, like I said, because of potential latency issues and and demand on internet and all the rest of it. All the things that we talked about when Stadia was first announced, right? Like you can go back to those episodes of Gamers In and those are all the same concerns. Like nobody has solved them yet. And if we can get to a place where it's solved, awesome. And maybe the tech will get there. But I just don't see how a, and this is probably going to come bite me in the ass like five, ten years from now, but I just don't see how a cloud version of a game will ever compete with a local copy of a game. Like, it's just the the tech isn't there for us right now. So, I mean, maybe the CMA is trying to look further ahead, and I respect that. But I think, again, like I said, of all the issues that are that were kind of presented with Microsoft's acquisition of Activision, it's this huge, huge company that they're trying to acquire for a boatload of money. Like, there's a lot of issues there, and I don't think cloud gaming should be the sticking point. Like, there's a lot more, a lot more immediate problems, I think, potentially uh, presented by Microsoft acquiring Activision. So... I just find it funny that cloud gaming is the sticking point. I just didn't see that coming. So we'll have to see. Like we said, uh, the appeal is going to be in late July. So we'll actually see Microsoft kind of uh, flesh out a lot of these arguments. And in in that way, it's kind of, I think it's going to be interesting because it's going to be so focused because they are very specifically appealing the CMA's decision around cloud gaming. Uh, We're going to get a lot of uh, kind of detail and fleshed out arguments out of uh, both sides. So I think this is going to be a really interesting um, appeal to follow. I should say trial, but I guess we're, it's an appeal now. So it's going to be really interesting. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens in July. But it does mean that, again, like this is kind of pushing back our date for um, when we thought this acquisition was going to go through. So uh, probably looking at late 2023. Again, if it goes through, we'll, we'll still have to see. We still don't know. So we will keep you guys up to date on that. Uh, as we also alluded to, we're going to talk a little bit about Redfall. There was a, a Bloomberg article, a Jason, a Jason Schreier article, about uh, basically the inside view of the making of Redfall. Um, so we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about Gollum. Uh, Redfall was May's offering in the terrible review department, <laughs> and uh, though still not as bad as Gollum. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it really didn't go over well. Now I didn't give this, I didn't give this game a try. I was interested in it when they, uh, I guess, oh shoot, when was that? They did one of the Xbox shows had like Redfall as their big finale and it looked really cool. But the more I kind of looked into it, the more I was like, "Eh, this seems like a really weird game like I don't really understand what they're trying to do like is it single player is it multiplayer I don't really know I'm gonna wait and see and so I waited and saw and the reviews were terrible so I didn't pick it up uh and it sounds like from this article a lot of the questions I was asking were the same questions the devs were asking which is what game are we making right now (laughs) and nobody knows it launched and nobody knew (laughs) yeah the big takeaway I had from this article uh you know, it comes to, a lot of people say like, oh, man, the execs, the money guys, like they don't know what they're doing. And very much the case of this article it's making that is that the money guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, there was like a call from Bethesda, and this was before Microsoft acquired them to say, hey, 
we need more games as a service. So everybody, including um, the, the Arcane Studios, the folks best known for their immersive sim single player games, have to build a multiplayer experience uh, or a game as a service. And uh, this is the re- this is the result. Sometimes the result of I'm gonna I'm gonna give execs a you know a bone here. Sometimes the results of them saying we have to do this works out. Other times you get a Jason Schreier article, you know, like which is not <laughs> something. No one, want. no one wants a Jason Schreier article. If Jason is writing about you, you're in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, it, like especially the it, like it, even in this case, I, what is really. Uh, critical about this one is that Bloomberg is a is a paid for subscriber and uh Jason Schreier actually tweeted out like hey I've gifted this article to everyone <laughs> so essentially like you can read it uh for free if you click through from his Twitter so like he really like he wanted everyone to to see this story and everyone to pick it up and such and most people do pick it up and and pick the pieces out but it's really it's really unfortunate because like the, what it comes down to is like the co- combination of execs saying we have to build a games as a service and the idea that Arcane makes solely single player games and the fact that the game was kept secret for most of its five year development. It became uh, a situation where 70 percent of the folks that worked on Prey, their last uh, full single player. Which I game, really liked. I thought I thought uh, Prey was a really good game. Yeah, no, Prey was uh, a lot of people really liked it. Um, I think the issue there is that it didn't it didn't have the critical success that Bethesda was looking for because of course if you're not seeing growth it's um you know it's a problem <laughs> I guess yeah, uh, yeah but essentially like because it was kept secret and they had such uh, like a lot of people leaving because they were working on a multiplayer game they couldn't do hiring in a way that brought in people with multiplayer experience because a lot of people who were applying wanted to work on single player games. Well, yeah, they wanted to work for Arcane, and what Arcane was known for were these single-player experiences, so they got a lot of applicants not knowing what they were trying to build, and so that just didn't fit. So I found, of of everything mentioned in this article, I agree with you, Ryan, like, I found the recruitment side of it to be so interesting, and it's like... We, you know, we just talked about how, you know, we don't necessarily need announcements of games four and five years ahead of time. But at the same time, I can see how that would be, especially when you are deviating from what your studio is known for, like they did in in Arcane's case, uh, regardless of the reason behind that deviation, how that is a huge challenge for recruitment, because it's very hard to find the right people when nobody knows what you're doing because that was such a fundamental change right going from these single player experiences to something that's going to be like multiplayer cosmetic like (laughs) it's a different it's a different like mindset (laughs) it's a different set of game developer tools right so i think uh you can from the reviews again i haven't actually played redfall yet but um from the reviews it very much seems like the direction of the game isn't the greatest. It's like part single player, part multiplayer, but neither one of those parts are up to the standards of the, I guess, uh, up to industry standards, put it that way. Like the single player isn't as good as Arcane can do and the multiplayer isn't as good as anyone else can do. So really what you end up with is kind of a muddy mess. (laughs) So it's unfortunate because it's a cool concept. Yeah. And I, I mean, Arcane makes really cool games and I think you can you can 
just from seeing the trailers, you can see a lot of that arcane flavor in Redfall. Yeah, because they did uh, they did Dishonored too, right? That's arcane. Yeah. yeah, which I again really like. I I was excited for Redfall because it was coming out of the studio that made Prey and Dishonored, right? So. I think that uh, it's it's really too bad that and I know like there was an acquisition in the middle there and you know lots of different direction and they were told to like go down the game as a service route and do multiplayer online cosmetic stuff but then you know that was kind of pulled back as as gamers started to push back against so many games going games as a service like we really started to you know around what like 2019 ish to say like okay guys we don't actually like this (laughs) like we were okay when one or two of you was pushing it on us but now we don't want this in every game like stop with the cosmetics stop with the multiplayer stop with the loot boxes like go back to cool single player stuff and i think it was almost like too far into redfall's development potentially when these decisions were made to take that monetization out like i don't know it just seems like a whole bunch of different ideas smooshed together with no real direction, which is unfortunate. Because like I said, it's a very good company and a cool concept. So it's too bad that they didn't just kind of let Arcane run with it and do what Arcane does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a really interesting note of like Microsoft trying to stay, uh, keep a, an arm's length from their yeah. acquisitions because um, in the past they've been known to buy and then basically shutter uh, good development studios just through mismanagement. And I think they took that criticism a little bit too much to heart. Like I think after Redfall, you're going to see a more constructive approach from Microsoft to sort of reviewing and, and assisting studios with, with building their products. Well, exactly. Like that's what I really want to see is that they learn a lesson, like a similar lesson that they learned out of, you know, basically shuttering studios maybe prematurely in the past you know, and going too far the other way, I hope that Redfall makes them kind of come back to the middle where it's like, okay, we own you now. What are you working on? Let's talk about it. You know, like we want to be involved and give you the benefit of our advice and our resources. And let's see like what's going on with Redfall. Like I would have liked to see someone from Microsoft come in and go, well, this looks like a hot mess. How about we give you some direction? Here's what we need from Microsoft in our games catalog. We need a real solid single player game and that's what you're good at. So run with it mm-hmm. and like give that little direction. You don't have to tell them exactly what to do because these are some amazing studios. But you can at least say like, look, within the larger Xbox family that you're a part of now or Microsoft family, whatever, this is what we need in our games repertoire. So you're good at this. Go do what you're good at. Yeah, it still doesn't bode well for, you know, doesn't it doesn't bode well for Microsoft to basically have had this issue in their hands for two or three years and and not yeah. had made a correction like I, I like yeah, hopefully they learn a lesson and I and I don't think we're going to see a similar switch here like we've saw with uh, Sea of Thieves where there is this like no, you no. know, rebound because as you said it's it's a design issue it's not a uh, a policy or it's not, not bugs yeah it's not bugs it's not performance it's not um you know quantity of content I th- which i think was yeah. like an issue with see if these was a quantity thing yeah for sure yeah so i i mean hopefully the next arcane product will be a return to form and there are two arcane studios like this is austin and the one known for death loop is uh uh 
Arcane Lion. So um, there are two distinct, well, not distinct, but there are two studios under the Arcane banner. So like, you know, it won't be long before we see another Arcane title, but it it won't be uh, it won't be from the Redfall team. It'll be from the Deathloop team. But yeah, um, I don't think it'll be long. Well, I think. Uh, did you want to talk about the quest oh, before we wrap know. things up, or <laughs> are you done? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. There's going to be uh, some VR news next week, uh, okay? Which will be related to uh, the Meta Quest Three. But essentially, the Meta Quest Three is coming out in the fall, and Meta was like, "We need to announce this because Apple's going to announce their headset for a laughably six times the price that we're planning to to launch ours for." So, <laughs> but and that's it's not fine, a joke because it's Apple. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, like, so I think like whatever we have to say about the Meta Quest Three can likely wait until next week when we have the okay. Apple side of the story. Uh, they're going to have their. I think their announcement is either Monday or tuesday but there's there are this is the time at which apple is likely to unveil their headset which um meta which would be in direct competition with meta and their headsets so uh we'll have to see how that goes yeah we will uh talk more in depth about uh vr headsets next week then uh thank you guys so much for listening you can join the conversation at bit.ly slash tgi discord like i mentioned up in the patreon section uh do jump in there and have those conversations because there's a lot of really cool folks chatting it up in the tgi discord you can also visit us over on the web at gamersinpodcast.com or follow us on twitter you can find me jocelyn at joss plays ryan is Dar murphy and don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in thanks for staying at the gamers in remember tune in next week bye everybody bye everyone